Um, so I never, I never knew that I, well, let me see, I, never, I, I never thought that I would be in this position. Like, like if you asked me, I don't know, oh man, I was about to say how a number of years ago and then I realized that that's a bad number, that's too small a number. If you asked me, like, I guess 15 years ago, that's a long time. Like 15 years ago when I was like first learning to play guitar and first playing in, has it been that long? My goodness. Okay, so, so, so back in the olden days when I was a kid, um, I thought, I, 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 played in the, I played in the youth band and all this, and I'm like, this is great. I'm going to play guitar and I'm going to sing and that's as far as I ever want to go. I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not like a teacher. I don't like, I don't like speaking in public. Like, I will sing songs and I will play guitar. And I was very, very comfortable with that. Um, and, and around that, and, and then years into that, I was still just playing music and, and leading worship and more and more places and that sort of thing. And, and mom and dad had started serving in the college class at Heritage, uh, which is the church that we came from to plant CRC. Uh, they'd started serving there, and uh, there weren't a lot of great young couple opportunities at the time at Heritage. So, so Tiff and I were just kind of hanging out with the college class and just kind of spending our time there, uh, just kind of participating um, in what was going on. And, and I'll never forget, there was, there was another guy who was teaching there, Mark, who, who called me, basically, I want to say called me into his office. It was, it was Shoney's, but, but, he, but he, he, he took, it, that's his office. He, 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 basically, he basically works at Shoney's. So he called us in to Shoney's, Tiff and I, and we sat down and he said, so here's the deal. You're going to start teaching a community group in the college class. Uh, no excuse. No, I don't want to. No, I think I'd rather. No, you are going to start teaching a class. It's, it's time. You're done. I'm, it's, it, I'm pushing you out of the nest, basically. Um, I'm pushing you out of your comfort zone and making you do something that you don't think you want to do. So, so I ended up teaching and then through more and more encouragement by the Holy Spirit and stuff, uh, several of us started feeling this call to plant the church here. Uh, several of us uh, started feeling like there was more to what we were supposed to be doing than just staying and doing the same thing. Like we, we could no longer continue to dictate what we thought our spiritual life, our spiritual growth was supposed to look like. Um, we thought, like forever, it's like, I'm going to continue to do this. I know exactly what my path looks like. I know exactly how easy or difficult this will be. I can kind of control where we're going with this. And, and God very quickly and, and very uh, obviously to us started saying, no, I want you to do what I'm calling you to do. I want you to do something different. And CRC really was kind of, kind of born out of this idea that you can't continue to do things the way you think you are the most comfortable doing them. He's calling you to something different. He's calling you to something um, harder. He's calling you to something that is going to, to not be as easy to just kind of float in and float out and kind of continue on with life as usual. He's calling us to something, to something more difficult. And, and I think that that attitude, that same kind of um, 
that shifting mindset from we can stay comfortable where we are or we can do something that's harder in a different place is, is, is the same kind of heart that Jesus is going to get at uh, here in Matthew 8 today. Um, so if you're in Matthew chapter 8, we're going to read verses 18 through 22. Um, and in this, in this uh, situation, two different people who have been following Jesus are going to come up and say, hey, I want to serve you. And Jesus is going to have a very interesting response to both of them. So let's just go ahead and read it. Now, now when Jesus saw a crowd around him, he gave orders to go over to the other side. And a scribe came up and said to him, teacher, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the son of man has nowhere to lay his head. And another of the disciples said to him, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. What? They said they wanted to do something for you, Jesus. That doesn't make sense. Here's the first thing that I want us to to recognize. Uh, Both of these disciples kind of came to Jesus with their own expectations for how they would serve him. Very similar to kind of where my mindset was back when I was just leading worship. I was like, I'm going to follow you in this way. I'm going to answer your call to do things, but, but only, only on these, in these areas. Like, I'm going to kind of dictate the terms for which I am going to be obedient to you. And that's kind of the same attitude that both of these men have as they approach Jesus. They said, you know, I want to follow you, but I have a couple of things that are going to kind of be some caveats to, to letting me do that. If you want me, you're going to kind of have to let me have a couple of things. Um, and you may be thinking, but that first guy just said, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Well, it also says that he is a scribe. And um, let me just kind of give you a little bit of a background on what a scribe was. Very few people at this point in history were literate. Like, not many people were reading and writing, which is why it was so important that you go to the synagogue and have the scripture read to you. Because there were not a lot of people who could actually read and write to, to be able to take a scroll and communicate what God had said to you. And so, so this scribe uh, would be uh, serving under you know, a mentor for, most, for, for a great portion of his life. Uh, and, what, and what kind of understudy scribes? I don't really have a great word for these. But these guys that are trying to study to become you know, full-fledged scribes, what they would do is they would go out and they would try to find a mentor. Uh, if you're in college right now or something, maybe like an internship. Like, I need to go find somebody that I can study under that will set me up to become a scribe later on. And so the scribe is coming to Jesus and he's saying, I would like to study under you. Why would he be picking Jesus to come and study under? Because just like if you're looking for an internship, right, you want to try to find an internship at one of the most important places with the most influence so that you can be set up to be one of the most important whatever you're studying to be after that, right? So this guy is coming up to Jesus and saying, you've got big crowds. You seem to be going somewhere. I would like to study under you so that I can be set up to be very successful as a scribe, so that I can have lots of people who would flock to me, who would come to me, and I'd have lots of influence under you after having served under you. I want, basically he's saying, 
I mean, if you want to translate this over to a, to, a, to a church mindset, you could say, I want to go study under the pastor of this megachurch down the road so that I can kind of garner enough notoriety so that when I go and plant my own church, I actually have these huge crowds that come with me and I have this big following. It's kind of the mindset that this guy is coming at when he's coming to Jesus. So it would, it's interesting that Jesus' initial response to him is, you are, he, he doesn't say no, first of all, notice this. He doesn't say no. But what he does say is, I want, to, I want to clarify what the result of following me is. You don't follow Jesus. We don't follow Jesus so that we can be set up for this, this fame, this, this comfort, this, this sort of worldly success as we would define it. He's saying, if you come and you follow me, I want you to. But I want you to know that in following me, in, in apprenticing under me, you have to realize that, that I don't live in a cushy palace I don't, I don't have this great political power. I'm not here to, again, overthrow this Roman government and set us up to be, to be these political leaders. So, so if, you're, if, you're, if you're hopping on my bandwagon, that's awesome, but know what your real expectations are. Know what you should actually be hoping, hoping to see happen. Don't just be coming to me because you're saying, I want to find the best rabbi so that I can be the most important rabbi after he's done. Don't be, don't be following me just thinking of yourself. And that's still, and that's still true for us. You know, it's not, the, the Christian life, what we are doing in living out our discipleship as a part of the church is not based upon finding comfort. Right? The church, we can't exist for comfort and and an established like cultural popularity. We can't be defined by and I think this is this is great as I say that I, and I love saying this in this church because because part of the mindset that we had when we were getting ready to plant CRC was we feel so comfortable where we are with all of this infrastructure and I'm not saying this is this has I'm not saying at all that that the church that we left was a bad church. It was filled with people who love Jesus and are serving him actively. Not saying anything about that at all. But we felt like we are becoming too stagnant because it is too easy to sit comfortably and not be motivated to keep going. It's too easy. We have all of this infrastructure around us, all of this stuff. And one of the things, and I distinctly remember this because we had a meeting with the church, where we were just kind of answering questions. Why do y'all think y'all need to go plant this church? Uh, and I can remember Daniel standing up at the mic and saying, because God doesn't need this stuff. He just needs our hearts. And so we said, okay, so we're going to do this, and, and we don't need all of the stuff. We don't need the fancy building. I mean, there are things that we like. Like, I still like that I get to play through my amp, and I still like that we have a sound system. I still like these things, but we don't need these things. Caleb smiles at me because he knows that it hurts me sometimes not to have some of those things because I'm still, I'm, still, I'm still growing. But we got these lights, and they're pretty. <laughs> but we were founded out of this heart of God doesn't need our stuff. In fact, we felt like our stuff was kind of limiting us. Christina, get ready. You're about to hit play on that. I'm just warning you. So, so here's the thing. 
Only my parents are, I, I, do you? Only my parents will truly appreciate this, I think. Um, and you'll all be like, why did you think of this? Because this is like a 1990s cartoon. I thought you didn't. This is like a 1990s cartoon that I used to. Oh, man, we broke it. Okay, okay, hold on. So, so you're going to be like, why does he use this video? And I say, because I keep some of the most ludicrous pop culture references stored in the darkest places of my brain. And some, for some reason, God brings them back up to me at the right moment. Are we ready? So, so there was this cartoon back in the 90s called The Tick. Has anybody ever watched The Tick? Okay, so we have a few The Tick fans. The Tick is by far the greatest superhero of all time. Um, and in the clip you're about to see, uh, it's called The Tick versus the World's Most Comfortable Chair. Okay? Let's, let's just go ahead and watch the clip, and then I will, I will show you how brilliant it is that I brought this clip in. So in that clip, comfort was turned into a weapon that held the tick back from being able to save the city. Okay. I'm saying that, that comfort, safety, security, these things that, that we found that we had back when we were still at a, at a bigger church with more infrastructure in a place with, with comfier seats, with, with better, I don't know, air conditioning and, and better running water and all of those things were great. But we found that it was so easy to get, get caught up in the comfort of that. It was so easy to just sit down and rest and relax that we wouldn't want to get out. We wouldn't want to go do something. We wouldn't want to go accomplish our mission of saving people, of pointing people to Jesus. And, and the comfort that we're able to find in the church, especially in this country, can be dangerous not only to us, but dangerous to um, those people who we should be talking to about Jesus. Those people that we should be pointing to Christ. It's, it's too easy for us to just sit back and let things go by and just enjoy the safety that we have. Every time that happens throughout church history, it seems like, though, Whenever the church gets too comfortable, God comes and he shakes the church and he says, you need to wake up. You need to get up. You need to, you need to leave the comforts, the, the safety, the security that you have and you need to go. And, that was, and that's kind of what I want our hearts to be like. I mean, it's easy to say, it's easy to say you, ought to go to, you ought to go be less comfortable and not be, be caught up in the infrastructure and the stuff that are around you as we're in this building where we have you know, just concrete floor that looks kind of, eh, and we have bathrooms that only sometimes flush. Right? That, that's easy to say. But, but we're here because God put us here, and we're here because we don't want to be held back by those things. And I would hope that, that your heart would, would latch onto this idea that our Christian life, our discipleship, is not based on finding comfort. We're not trying to find the most cushy place for us to sit down and just kind of park and rest. We're, we're here to, to be going, to be serving, to be loving. 
And that's, the, and that's the caution that Jesus gives this first disciple who comes up to him, this first follower. He says, please follow me. Just know that you're not signing up for the most comfortable life. Just know that you're not signing up for the best job necessarily or, or the most money or the most fame or the most glory or the most any of these things. When you sign up with Jesus, when, when you're added to the church, you're added to a life that, that, is, that has been, you know, throughout its history filled with people who have been uncomfortable, homeless, lost, out in the wilderness. People who are killed because they say, I follow Christ. I'm not, I'm not trying to discourage you. I'm trying to say, here's the thing. I want you to find Jesus so worth it that it doesn't matter what the life is like, that He's good enough. And you're willing to, to accept that life that comes with following Christ because He is so worth it. That's kind of been one of our prayers as a church for the last couple of weeks that you know, we keep saying the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. And we've been praying to the Lord of the harvest that He would send workers. Like, like we have real opportunities here to reach people and we're seeing people coming through these doors all the time who need Jesus. And we're so excited that we have these opportunities. But we got to pray that people who aren't here with us right now, mature believers, would understand this truth that Jesus is talking about, that I don't necessarily need all the comfort, but I just need to go serve. And that they would see there's this opportunity and we're praying that God would send us people who would come serve alongside of us. Love people. Talk about Jesus. Make much of Him as we're ministering here. So the first point is that the Christian life is not based upon finding comfort. The second point is that the Christian life sacrifices the guarantee and the security of family. So the second guy comes up to him and says, Lord, let me first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, follow me and leave the dead to bury their own dead. And just, as a, and just as a point, it's interesting that both of these guys who come up are among the group of disciples. We talked about this when we started the Sermon on the Mount, that Jesus kind of had three groups around him. He had, he had the disciples who were like in. He had these followers who were like in agreement, but just kind of on the outside. And then you had the crowds, right? The people outside who didn't really follow him, but were just kind of along for the ride. And it's interesting that these guys are kind of being described as being on the inside group, like people who are actually wanting to follow him. So I think it's, it's, it's worth noting that, that it's not saying you have to be uncomfortable to be a follower of Jesus, and, and you have to leave your family behind to follow Jesus, because we've already talked about how it's not based on the actions that we take, that we earn his love, we earn his favor. But we, do, we should realize that as we follow Christ, it might lead us away from comfort. And in this case, it might lead us even away from our families. They are signs of our maturing and our discipleship. What's interesting is that burial of the dead for a family member kind of superseded every law that had been given. If you've been here on Sunday nights for the last year, we've been reading, we've been reading through the Pentateuch. We're almost through the end of Numbers at this point. But, but when we were reading Leviticus, you read all of these rules and you're like, why? Why this? Why that? 
And one of those is like a priest can't come into contact with, with a dead body or they become unclean and they can't serve in the tabernacle for a, t- for a period of time until they're able to go through this period of cleansing themselves so that they can be holy again, set apart for the service in the tabernacle. And we talked about why that was, and it was because, because the, image, the picture of, of death to God, is like, like sin and death kind of coincide in the view of God. So, so, so death is a result of our sin, and it's just a reminder that we are unholy and completely separated from God. And so, and so his desire was that we would understand that being around death is a reminder that we should be separate from him. We don't deserve to be in his presence. And so he had all of these, these limitations for, for what could happen if you are in the presence of someone who has died. Except in the case of an immediate family member dying. If you read in Leviticus, this is Leviticus 21, verses 1 and 2. Uh, and it says, And the Lord said to Moses, Speak to the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say to them, No one shall make himself unclean for the dead among his people except, except for his closest relatives, his mother, his father, his son, his daughter, his brother. So he's not... He's not encouraging that we completely forget about the importance of those relationships because, because to be able to bury your own parent or your sibling or your child, God still cared about. He said, that is something that I want you to be able to do, even to the point that he said to the priests who had all of these restrictions on what they could be and He said, it's okay for you to go bury your parent. Like he was understanding in that, in that you are facing... This, the death of a family member, please go take care of this and you can continue to serve. This does not make you unclean. So he's not encouraging also that we forget to honor our father and mother, right? Like he, he goes back and he reinforces specifically that commandment on a couple of occasions. Honor your father and mother, right? Because he says that's the first one with a promise that you should have a long life. Or as my mom always told me, you should honor us so that God won't kill you. So it's not that he's trying to to throw out the idea of honoring your parents, taking care of your parents. But what he's saying is, if you are going to follow me, you have to understand that at some point there might be a question of what are your priorities? Is it being a disciple, a follower of Jesus, or is it making sure that you're in good standing with your family? And when you're faced with that decision, when you're faced with that opportunity... His hope is that you would choose him over anything else. The point is that our call to follow Christ should supersede anything else in our life. Just like if it was an immediate family member that died, that superseded the law that said you can't be in the presence of a dead body or you're made unclean. Right? So that, that had already been established that God was willing to say, here's the rule, here's the standard. But if this is the situation, that overtakes that original law. And now you're under this, this particular law. So what Jesus is saying is, I know that this is true, and I'm not throwing out that I want you to honor your father and your mother. I want you to take care of your family. I want you to love your family. I want you to continue to serve your family. However, if serving your family would take you away from your calling to Jesus... If it, would, if it would cause you to do something where you are, are walking away from discipleship, where you are not honoring Jesus above everything else, 
then at that moment, Jesus is going to trump everything else. Jesus overtakes everything else. In Luke 14, he says the same kind of idea. This, is a little, this, this seems a little bit harsher. Luke 14, 26 and 27. Jesus says, If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters, yes, even his own life, he cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. That's hard. He's saying everybody who you love, everybody who loves you, everybody who you feel safe around, right? You should feel safe with your brothers, your sisters, your parents, whatever. Everybody who you've got around you that you would say are the closest and most important people to you. Your love for Christ should be so deeply rooted within you that your love for anything else looks like hate. He's not saying hate your parents. He's saying your love for me should make everything else pale in comparison. And then he follows it up. Because he says, even his own life, right? Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Jesus knows where his life is taking him, right? He is basically on a three-year death march. He knows, at the end of this, I die. At the end of this, I am tortured and I suffer and that's it for me. Because that is my calling. That is my purpose. That is what... God requires of me to save the world. That is what it takes to get rid of the sin problem. And so our calling, we should, we should so love Jesus and so be trying to get to Him that the path that we walk is straight behind Him. And His was straight to His death. We should be willing to say, I I love Jesus so much that I'm willing to let go of everything else, every comfort around me, every family member that might would hold me back from my following Jesus, even to the point that I am willing to let go of my own life. I am willing to die for the sake of pursuing Jesus. That's the heart that Jesus is after. That's, that's what He wants from us. It's that easy, right? Yeah, it's just easy. Just your whole life, everything you love, everything that you feel comfortable with, you have to be willing to lose for his sake. This is a difficult calling for anyone. But I think that we in this country face it even harder because it is so easy to get to get lost in the comforts that are available to us. It's so easy. It's so easy to say, I, I gotta hold on to my family. I gotta, I gotta hold them close. I love them. I don't, I'm not gonna let them go. So I would I would choose my family over, over following after Jesus. And and we just need to beg that God would so reveal himself to us as so much better, so much more satisfying than any of the comforts and securities and safeties that are around us. And the only way that we're going to get to, that, to have that kind of a heart, the only way 
that we will ever be able to fully get that is if God gives us that heart. We cannot manufacture it. It doesn't make sense for us to be like, I am going to get rid of all of this comfort stuff, and I'm going to just... I'm just going. Like, like we're not going to get to that on our own. It's only by the power of the Holy Spirit changing who we are on the inside and making us something new that we are going to get after that. So we, as the church, need to be praying and begging God to change us and to start changing the people around us to see that there is something more important than the comforts and the safety and the security that, that, that are given to them. And that Jesus is so much greater, so much better, right? We still use that hashtag. We started it in Hebrew, but we, we keep it now. Jesus is better than anything else that the world could offer us. And so we pray and we beg God that he would give us hearts that would want him above all else. Let's pray.